Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his bond servants. The things which must soon take place. I want to stop right there and say, brothers and sisters, is this the end of the world? I have no idea. But I'll tell you what, we're closer to the end of the world than we were when we started. I, I don't know. I really don't know that. I, I have a feeling things are going to get dicey, not only dicey, they could get rough for the church. Uh, I mean, right now, I can't, you know, you can't, we, we, you can't just go in a public place and say, so, you know, you, you can't really just say, hey, I really believe that all lives matter without someone stoning you. What, what if we said, Jesus is Lord? I, I, I don't know where all of this is leading to, but I, I just have a feeling that it might be that uh, only the doulos Christians might actually survive some of the hardship that may be coming to us. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's not prophetic. It might be more pathetic. But I, I, I think I just have this sense that, um, well, let's just say it this way. It's going to become important for you and I to make a stand, a solid backbone decision and stand. And, and I, I'm not talking about left and right and all that stuff. I'm talking about Jesus. It, will he be the center of everything in our life? Um, the things that must soon take place, and he sent and, and communicated it by uh, his angel to his bondservant, John. So Jesus said, hey, uh, Mr. Angel, you over there, would you please come? I've got this revelation. I want to give it to John. So would you take it to him? Okay, so... He, the father first gave Jesus the revelation. The revelation is now given to the angel, and the angel takes it to John. Verse number two, who testified, that would be John, he testified, to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy of this book, and heeds the things which were written in it, for the time is near. So in God's mind, it's near. I don't know what that means. It's near. 2,000 years must have been near. We're nearer, we're closer than when this was first uttered. But let me just point your attention to the fact that he says, uh, John says, I testified that the angel came to me and the angel said, I came from Jesus and I've got this revelation. I want to give it to you because the time is near. So you got to give it to the churches. Okay, so you give it to the churches. But, but, but John starts to hint at something very important. And he says he testified um, uh, to, to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. There was two things that were mentioned that was testified about. One was the word of God. The second was the testimony of Jesus. Now, I think that the two are separate, and yet they're used together. So uh, for, for John, the word of God would have been only the Old Testament. That's all he had. Uh, I mean, the revelation was just being written. It's, it's New Testament, right? It hadn't been revealed yet. All the apostles were starting to, to write their gospel, to write what they saw about Jesus. But the New Testament had not been compiled yet. So the word of God literally was all of the Old Testament. 
So the, the angel is testifying to John, and John testifies that something is coming, something has happened, and, and I'm going to tell you that it's in agreement with the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, just so that we are clear on this, verse number 9, And I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Um, in the book of Revelation, the word, the phrase, the testimony of Jesus is there six times. Five times? I mean, it's one more than five times, you know. Six times. Now, the, 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 the importance of that is that, you know, when God says something once, it's true. He doesn't have to say it a second time. But when he says it a second time, it's established. It doesn't become truer. It's just like, I've just amended myself. So when Jesus would say, verily, verily, or truly, truly, let me just tell you something. Anything written in red in your Bible is true, it, absolutely true, it's plus the stuff in black. But I'm just going to just focus in on the words of Jesus Christ. You take the words of Jesus Christ, and whenever he says, verily, verily, he is actually amening himself in the beginning, which is a way of saying, I don't need your amen, I don't need your applaud, but I'm going to tell you something, way to go, Jesus, this is awesome, this is established. So when he says, verily, Verily, I say unto you, you know, um, and, and then, then he said that several times, several different places. So now if he says something six times, what does that mean? Well, let's just say we should take it serious. We should take it serious. So if your odometer, that's what that thing's called. If your odometer says five, 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 I think I got it right. If you add another five, you've got a car with 500,000 miles, which would be awesome. That would be more like a, a diesel truck, you know. Its engine has been rebuilt a couple times. Okay, but anyways, if, if, if you take that five, 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 and you say that's grace times grace times grace times grace, what if we just took six and say, okay, what does that mean? What does that number mean? It's not the number, it's the times. Okay, so uh, six is the number of man. So I think that what John is trying to say is the Holy Spirit wants me to say to man, because God doesn't need this information, that there is a consequence and there is a privilege to carrying the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, let's just say it: the testimony of Jesus Christ cost Jesus his life. By the way, most of the early church, it cost most of them their lives, right? And then all the people that they led to Christ, a good portion of them, it cost them their lives. We can go, we can keep going until Constantine. Oh, that's a whole nother subject. But by eliminating persecution towards the church, then people started 
to enjoy peace and freedom. And by the way, uh, Paul tells us we're to pray for those who are leaders and authorities over us so that we might enjoy a peaceful and tranquil life. If God gives you a life full of peace, hallelujah, praise the Lord, be grateful for it. But Jesus said, I'm going to tell you guys right up front. He told John, you know, John records it in, in John chapter 2, verse 22. Um, you know, Jesus uh, talked about his death. And, 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 uh, and he said to the scribes and the Pharisees that they would destroy this temple. And in three days, he would raise it up. And they... They, they thought, that's a bunch of hooey. How can, you know, this temple cost, it, it took us 46 years for us to build it. By the way, they didn't build it. Herod built it. And by the way, till it's finished, it was like 84 years until that thing was finished. It took God but a moment to tear it down. Praise God. But <clears throat> Jesus, John says, that the people hearing him say, in three days he'll raise up, those people didn't understand that he was talking about the temple of his body. Hold that thought. Keep that thought. Because we're going to need to return to that. The true temple of God now isn't in Israel. The true temple of God is in this room and watching online today. I can tell you're thrilled with that. But, I mean, it's true. Yeah. The true dwelling place of God is within the life of the believer. And the scriptures say something very interesting, and I noticed this a long time ago, and it says that no one caught that until Jesus was resurrected. Then those guys said they remembered, they remembered the scriptures and the words of Jesus. What? Two different things? They remembered the Old Testament things about, well, like Isaiah 53, for example, that talks about a resurrection. They remembered all of the scriptures and Jesus' own words. You put those two things together and, and, and that becomes the word of God. The words of Jesus matter. The words of Jesus matter. It, it, it's what he carried, what he said, what he talked about, what he modeled. When he says the kingdom of heaven is like, he's, he's not having Sunday school and saying, look, I don't have a felt board, but let me just try to help you here to get this concept. What he, he told them eternal truths. What eternal truths did he tell him? Tell them. One of the eternal truths that he told them is that he was the way back to God. One of the things that he said is that God was his father. One of the things that he said is that unless you come to him and come through Jesus, who is the way or the door, you won't get to the father except through him. And then he said the unthinkable. He said, I and the Father are one. He said so many things. So that all of that becomes the testimony of Jesus. But Peter said it probably the most economically. And Jesus even points out then 
Peter, I'm sorry, I love you, man, but that's not from your brains. That's from my father. I recognize that word. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That testimony is the essence of the testimony of Jesus. In other words, all the time when he said, uh, I and the Father are one, or I see the Father working, and I am working, I hear him speaking, and I am speaking, this close relationship he had with Father, and all the Jews are going out of their mind because in, in Deuteronomy 6 it says, Listen, Israel, hear the Lord our God. The Lord your God is one. <laughs> and that was confronting uh, polytheism. He was creating a monotheistic, uh, there's only a one God, there isn't a many God syndrome and theology. And so when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, that's like fighting words. That's like, how can that be true? I mean, I mean, if we hold to Moses, how do we accept Jesus? And the answer is, you have to let go of Moses to accept Jesus. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses. Bad translation, Christ is the end of the law to them that believes. Bad translation. He is the fulfillment of the law. Everything that the law and the prophets portrayed, spoke to, advanced, it all was found in Jesus. And I got to tell you, it was a mind shift for his disciples, the ones who became apostles. I mean, they're like, I, I, you know, it's like God, like, we don't know what to do with Jesus. We love you, Father, and we love Jesus. When he talks, our hearts burn. No one has words like he has. It was something in us comes alive when he speaks. It took the the, the death and the resurrection for them to be convinced that God the Father had accepted Jesus as his son. And then with the subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the very first thing that happens is the apostles, they start talking about Jesus. They didn't give up talking about the Father, but they started talking about Jesus. He's the center of it all. And they, and they carried his testimony. They recognized he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the son of the living God. So I just want to say it one more time. I carry the testimony of Jesus within me. Do you? Do you carry it? Will you carry it? The Old Testament scriptures the law and the prophets you know they become the corpus of what we call the old covenant the old testament and old should not be thought of as old wineskin it should be thought of as like first the original covenant and then what god did was he revised i don't know if you understand how important it is for us to recognize today that literally everything being sold to us, everything that is being marketed, everything that is being put out there, always add new, improved, 
bigger, greater, longer, deeper. And right now, in fact, uh, I had, you know, a little bit of fellowship time in the bathroom before the service today, and I saw the Clorox bottle there. And how do you improve Clorox? I mean, new and improved fights, flus, and viruses. It doesn't say pandemics, but you know what they're thinking is like, you need this. Like if you thought the old stuff was good, this is like better than that. And so that's the way we should actually think of the new covenant is, was, is the old covenant updated 2.0. And the thing that is beautiful about it is that the father exalts his son and then he opens it up to the world. Now, not only God-loving and God-fearing, devout Jews can accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, but also Gentiles. I started to talk about that last week, and I really don't have the time to go into it right now. But I want to just say it very, very loud and very clear. And that is that the church needs to once again say we carry not just the word of God. We honor that. In fact, our information comes from that. But we also carry the testimony of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the enemies of the cross are not killing Christians because they have a way to encourage you. They have a way to give you more hope. They have a way to help you in the midst of your depression. In worlds that are hostile to the message of the cross, which next week we actually get the opportunity to pray for the persecuted church. But to the enemies of the cross, it doesn't matter if you are Catholic or Protestant or Orthodox. All that matters is you carry the testimony of Jesus. And with the testimony of Jesus, you're preaching the cross and the blood and the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there are so many ways in which the gospel begins to permeate and have an effect on the world and should have an effect on the world. But I want to just tell you, at the very end, Jesus burns the world up you know, and makes it all new, everything new, everything wonderfully, everything gloriously new. In fact, if you can think of it this way, that one sin in the Garden of Eden impacted all of the known creation on this planet and as far as stars are flung, the entire creation was impacted by one act of disobedience towards God. But by one act of obedience for God, Jesus Christ has created an impact that is transforming human hearts and human minds and human lives and getting us ready for the day when he transforms heaven and earth and all that is. And in that day, you will know that all the things that we talked about and all the things that we diverted and divested and went into, diverted into, all those things are good, but there is one 
thing essential for the church, for no one else on earth can carry this, and that is that we carry the testimony of Jesus. I carry the testimony of Jesus. Do you? Will you? Will we? Will we, church, say we're going to become the people who are believing that God is resurrecting an apostolic faith, an apostolic church, an apostolic, um, I'm thinking of wineskin model. I don't care what it is exactly. I just know that God is also in the world changing and transforming the church. And what he's doing is he's taking us back to the future. He's bringing us not just that old was better, but no, that old was what was once delivered one time for all time delivered to the saint. That thing needs to be delivered to the church today so that we deliver to others and they deliver to others. And it's not, it's got to be something you're worth, you're, you're willing to die for. If you're not, if we're not willing to die for it, it's not worth, or we're not willing to live for it. And I find that's where this Western church is in the crosshairs right now. It's not just politics. It's not just pandemics. It's not just old problems of racism and all kinds of ism. The problem today, the challenge for us today is that we've morphed into something that is less offensive. And less effective. Less cutting edge. And people are less willing to die for it. So I'm going to just be honest with you. You know, like if the church returns to like normal, quote unquote, normal, I'm not sure I'm in. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure I want to go back to what we used to call normal because I think that God has something far, far better. And I think that people who are listening to me right now, they're not willing to die for a structure or a denomination or even maybe a movement, but I think that they're willing to die for Jesus. And if we're not willing to die for it, we won't be willing to live for it. And so what I find happening is that most people are filling or trying to fill their already overscheduled lives with one more thing that they call Jesus. Brothers and sisters, would you please stand with me? I'm going to just tell you something. Jesus will be the center of it all. Question is, will I take my ear to the doorpost? Will I become his doulos? Will I carry his testimony? Will I carry the inconvenience, the scorn, the rejection, or the things that comes with standing for the things that are true and right and lovely and just? I um. I believe that we have a window of time. If you want to talk to me afterwards, I can tell you what I think the window of time is. But that's just one man's assumption. I think we have a window of time, and I think that we have an opportunity. And I think that we better take it. 
And I really feel like that today is the day. This is the day for us to like lay it down and just say, when I stand up from here, when I get up from here, I will, by the grace of God, carry the testimony of Jesus. By the way, I would encourage you to just search that phrase and do your own study, look into it more deeply. Because of the constraints of time and all those things. Um, I just feel that it's better for me to let you release, to just go and begin to ponder. Just take some time and ponder. What is the testimony of Jesus? Do I carry it? If I don't carry it, would I be willing to carry it? What is it about John, who was the disciple of love, that was so offensive to the world that they tried to kill him on so many occasions? And when they were unsuccessful killing him with oil and knives and other things, they just marooned him, abandoned him on an island. He was separated from all the people he was trying to reach. He was separated from all the people who knew him and loved him and cherished him. He was an elderly man now. His specific conversations with Jesus, many of them were a distant memory. And, and like John could just, you could imagine John just saying, Oh, Jesus. When you called me by the water's side and I left my boat and I left my nets to follow you, I never thought it would end here. But Jesus, you can slay me, you can heal me, or you can rescue me. But Jesus, you'll be the center of my life. And I'll bear your testimony wherever I can and however I can. In that sacred moment. And I don't know if you pray, if you talk to Jesus like I do when... I just get real with him. I get really, really honest. Tell him what he already knows, but I just, I can, I can just imagine John saying, like, I bear your testimony. Like, either just kill me and bring me home or don't leave me just sitting, growing old, with no one to teach, no one to reach. No one to cry out to. No one to bear the testimony of Jesus to. And I can just imagine in heaven the Father says, Jesus, or, Jesus, I want you to go tell John. It's all true. Everything you believed about Jesus, it's all true. He's seated on the throne and he's coming back again for a bride. And in that day, all your doubts and fears and confusions will all make sense. 
Jesus, send John a revelation. Jesus says, you bet, Dad. Jesus looks over and says, Mr. Angel, come here. He whispers in his ear, and he sends him to John. And John thinks he's all alone. But there's a great cloud of witnesses that are watching over John, and they're cheering him and saying, you can't, you can't drop the baton now, John. You must run the race to the end. Don't give up now. And John's on the earth just saying, if you just could give me a word, just give me a direction. And the angel comes and taps John on the shoulder and said, I've come from Jesus, and I know that you're on this island because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Well, I want you to pick up your pen and get ready to write because I'm going to show you how this thing turns out. I'm going to show you what he's going to do, and you're going to deliver it to the church, and the church is not going to drop the baton, and you're not going to drop the baton. They can put you on an island, but they can't chain it. They can kill you, but they can't stop it. They can discourage you, but it won't change it. That day is coming, John. So you write, and you write it clear, and you make it plain, and you send it to the church. And brothers and sisters, I'm standing in front of you today, a testimony that my brother John received a revelation from Jesus Christ. And yes, you know what it is? He's the Lord. He's the Son of the living God. He will rule. He will reign. Nations will change. Nations will bow. Nations will be healed. But he'll never, ever, ever be stamped out. The gates of hell will not prevail so what is 2020? It's just a bump in the road. Jesus is Lord. I'm not making light of anyone's illness. I'm not making light of anyone's condition, the business you lost, or the partner you lost, or the loved one you lost. I'm not making light of any of that. But I'm telling you this, I've lived long enough to know this is but a bump in the road. And Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I told my children that. I tell my grandchildren that. And I'm telling you today, I bear the testimony of Jesus. And I'm willing to die for it. Do you? Will you? If you're willing, then please don't tell me. Tell him. Tell him right now, church. Call on the Lord. Cry out to him. Say, Jesus, we live to see you the center of it all. But for now, you'll be the center of my life. You'll be the center of my world before you're the center of the world. Okay, 
I'm calling on radicals right now, especially young people. You say there's like nothing you're willing to die for, or you've been tricked into some kind of, or colluded into some kind of political scheme. Let me tell you something. If you want to change the world, then receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and be, bear his testimony far and wide. It will transform you. His love will transform you. His love will transform this world. You will never find a greater adventure. This generation is hardwired. People think I'm crazy. I've never decided it was a good idea to climb up the side of a mountain with no ropes. That is radical and foolish to me. But God bless you. If you're that kind of person, you are hardwired by Jesus to live a radical life of love and to bear the testimony of Jesus. If I were to ride a skateboard, I would try to stay on it. I would try to stay on it for dear life. But no, you guys, you want to jump with it. You want to try to stay on it as little as possible. If that's you, you are hardwired to be radical for Jesus Christ. People have given up their lives for lesser causes, but there is not a greater cause on the face of the earth. And I am but one man, and I have lived but a short life. But I'm going to tell you something. As long as I have life, as long as I have breath, I will tell you that if there are radicals that are ready to follow Jesus, I'll lead you, I'll lead you, I'll be in front of you. And I'll be behind you, encouraging you. But for Christ's sake, don't return to normal. Don't return to normal. Church, let's pray. These altars are open to you. Come, find a place. Make your stand. Pick up the cross of Jesus. Pick up the testimony of Jesus. Pick up the grace of God that has been given to you, that has been made available to you. And let let the Lord put you on his bow and fling you like an arrow wherever he wants to, however he wants to. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. If these words are your words, then confirm them with miracles, signs, and wonders. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, that this would be the day when some people's lives change forever. This would be the day when some people hear the voice of the Lord calling them and drawing them. This would be the time. I'm praying that if you should give us 50 years, that there would be some people who would look back 50 years from now and say it was August 20, or October 25th, Cornerstone Fellowship, live stream, or in the sanctuary, that God put me on his bow and flung me to the nations, flung me into the world.
with the testimony of Jesus. It was that day I pledged my heart to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. It was that day.